We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Whether you have your own bathroom or you share one with your family, a little extra help keeping the bathroom sink, counter, and mirror clean goes a long way. And Viva Paper Towels are for the long haul. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. And they clean like cloth, helping you keep the surfaces in your bathroom dry and fingerprint and toothpaste free. For an exceptional bathroom clean, there's Viva Paper Towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Paul, my co-host, my partner in crime, well, former Los Angeles Rams defensive back Michael Stewart for our Sunday night edition of the show. Mike, how you doing, bud? Hey, man, I'm doing good, bud. Just really to rock and roll, man. It's a great day. Sunny Southern California, eh? Doing well, man. Ready to get it cracking. You guys just had your scrimmage, right? Yeah, we sure did. And how'd that scrimmage go? Hey, man, we had to take it to a little town called Tulare Union. 
guess they beat up on the drillers the last couple years in the scrimmage. So uh, we had a little redemption on last Thursday. Had a great crowd out with uh, a lot of the parents and family just excited about uh, a little bit of the new driller. So, man, we're excited. Had a lot of fun. Well, did they get their redemption? Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I didn't we, know how uh, to best address we, that part of the question. Yeah, well, you know, the coaches, me and the coach, we had agreed early on in the week that, you know, we wouldn't do any blitzing, just kind of keep it vanilla, if you will. And uh, But after our first series on offense, they start blitzing. So I'm like, wait a minute. thought we said no blitzing, but that was kind of their way to just try to stay – Though, we, you know, you're not keeping score, but make it look like they were out there trying to do something. So, yeah, we had a lot of fun. So, they blitzed, did you? No, no. We, <laughs> we kept it stale and, and, and stuck to the game plan. You know, we didn't want to show a lot on tape anyway uh, going into, you know, as we start getting into the season. And, you know, right now we have a little bit of the edge. No one really knows what we can or what we're going to do. So, yeah, keep Try to keep way. them on edge a little bit longer. This strategy reminds me of a certain coach by the name of Sean McVay who left his stars behind in Los Angeles. Exactly. Don't try to show anything. Yeah, Speaking we need of, to talk about that. <laughs> I I expressed some concerns about it in the last show, and then we saw what happened with that penalty last night. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I'm I'm okay now. So this is what happened last night. Rams lose 14-10 to the Cowboys in Hawaii. It was a really is almost a kind of a festival atmosphere there. Teams are out there on the field ready to go, but these fans were there hours before they were, hours before the lots opened up just trying to get in. So it was really an experience for all these fans out there in Hawaii. Great, you know, great showing for them. And then in the game itself, there were a few things that I was happy with and I'm sure you're happy with. There are a couple that I was not so happy with. Also, in the episode today, the second part of our episode is our first ever Rams Podcast Summit, where I will host our first site with Turf Show Times, Joe McAtee, Downtown Rams, Jake Ellenbogen, and Locked On Rams, Brad Mater. That's the second segment of our show today to end it all with a beginning of what I think will be a four-episode series to uh, get all of you folks ready for the Rams this year. Okay. So, Mike, overall, just before we do our normal Jim Hawk and Hollis team kind of intro, just a real quick overview for you. How did the Rams do last night, in your opinion? Well, I think you hit on it earlier, uh, leaving a lot of the veterans home just to, I guess, relax, not be on a quote-unquote flights going to and fro. The things with the veterans being on the sidelines, they're off, the, off a little more help, uh, a little bit of extra coaching uh, when guys are coming in and out. So I think we miss a chance out on that and team bonding, if you will. But overall, I think we saw some great progress. We saw a lot of young guys playing uh, we got to clean up the penalties, but other overall, I think we're we're progressing the way you would expect for a second uh, game. Eighteen penalties in that game. Yeah, that's a lot. And I get some of it too. And just you're playing with these guys a lot more, playing there for the first time. I get it. Still, some of those things were just fundamentals, man. That I would never ever think an NFL team should be doing. Yeah, but again, when you're going with, quote-unquote, the new guys, just to kind of see, you know, a lot of that is nerves, if you will, and some of it is guys trying to make a play instead of letting the play somewhat come to them. You know, just we say do your job uh, when you're playing offense or defense. Just do your job, 
in the plays will come. But I, I would imagine with the anxiety and uh, I don't know how long they were over in Hawaii, but Hawaii in itself is a distraction. <laughs> it is. It is. And maybe that's why they kept them home. We'll talk about that. I had my own personal opinions on it. It changed my mind a little last night after that penalty. Before we even get to all that, we do want to remind you that this show, this our podcast, this episode is sponsored by Jim Hawkins, Bacalo's team. We also remind you that we're available anywhere podcasts can be found, including Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Apple Music, and we still have that contest going on right now where if we get once we get 205 star reviews, one lucky winner will get a 75 dollar gift certificate to NFLshop.com. That's how it works. Head over to Apple Music. Leave a five-star review. Send us an email at ramstop1945 with a copy of your entry so we know who to reward. Copy me, get a screenshot, and then we'll also read your feedback on the show. Don't forget other shows on the network, including Rams Uncensored, Butting Heads, and dun-dun-dun. The Rams Brothers are joining our network. That will give us four podcasts on the network, each one having a slot during the week to provide you all the coverage you would want or need during the NFL season. Again, we welcome Rams Brothers to our network. We have four different shows making things happen under the Rams Talk label. Okay, Mike, this game, 14-10. There are several positives here. That includes Mr. Henderson, Finally getting some play out of the backfield. What was your impression? What was your thoughts on Daryl Henderson getting some play? Uh, Absolutely great. You know, the great thing about running backs, they're typically known as as like a rhythm dancer, if you will. The more they get going, the more they just feel, and then their natural ability takes over. So they're able to make a shift, a cut for you even see it, and a lot of that is timing. And again, You know, we expect a lot of these young guys coming out of college, but at the same time, you're in the NFL. The game's a lot faster. There's a lot more expectation when you actually know jobs are on the line. A little bit different in college. You know, it's not like if you have a bad day. I mean, you may not start, if you will. It's not like you're going to get cut. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think as he gets going, his natural ability is going to show up more and more. I really enjoyed seeing him get the ball in the open field, out in the wings. It's kind of what you imagine he would happen with him from the very beginning of his time with the Rams. Like the moment they drafted him, we knew. I just envisioned it. Daryl Henderson going out in the wing, doing some of those things to to widen that field and force defenses to stretch open space inside. I do wonder, really, kind of just talking about Henderson and really the, the rest of the running game for that matter, too. And this is a question for you because you've been there and done that with camp. The running game... Overall, though, it's been a little bit lacking, and I'm wondering how much that just cohesive of the offensive line, or is it because they're staying vanilla, or these guys aren't necessarily catching up the entire running game yet? What is going on to help this running game gel? Well, it's all of the above. A lot that goes into the running game is learning how to run from a position of setting up blocks, knowing where a guy is going to be and knowing where your guy is going to be as you set the block up. You know, it's not just like, oh, I see daylight hit the hole. Sometimes that's the case. A lot of time, because a lot of the zone blocking schemes and different things that are going on, uh, we call it in the box, you know, tackle to tackle. Uh, you have to anticipate where your blocker will show up and somewhat how to set things up. So a lot of it is just timing, guys gelling, learning how to play off each other. And again, what opens up the running game is a passing game. 
in the passing game has been a little interesting and looked better this week. That goes to our next point here. Blake Bortles has a solid game. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it looks like he's getting comfortable in the system. He had a really couple of nice throws. One of those throws out to Mike Thomas. There was another nice one that you mentioned before. Nissimba Webster had had a nice one. Had a long of 16. Daryl Henderson, a long of 26. All that stuff came under Mr. Bortles' watch. So it was really interesting seeing him get into a groove with this offense. And what was your overall thought of his performance? Yeah, you know, Blake Bortles is you know a little bit like we talked about. You would expect that out of a guy who's been a starter, has played in some tough environments. And you would hope that now being in a system that probably can feature more of his strengths than his weaknesses, uh, you put some good quality people around, you know, you get some time to sit back there and, and do what you do. You look a lot better than a guy that just, you know, looks like he's he's wasted or he was somewhat of a wasted draft pick. So, yeah, excited to see him being solid. But truly, that's what you would expect from a veteran. And it was nice to see him kind of put to rest some of those fears that we have about the backup position. I'm no longer worried that he's going to pick it up or not. Uh, We heard all kinds of things coming out of Jacksonville that he was the guy who didn't do a whole lot of film work. and That may be the case, but it's clear he's starting to grasp the offense now. In order to grasp it, you have to be working, you have to be reading up on it, you have to be learning it. So I'm feeling a lot better about where the Rams stand with him than I did just a couple months ago. Honestly, I'm just... Happy to see we have a guy back there in case something, knock on wood, fingers crossed, all those weird expressions for something to happen to Goff, then we know you have somebody back there who can at least do something. I'm, I'm happy with that. Oh, absolutely. And again, that's what you're looking for when you bring a guy like Bortles into your environment, to your team, as a guy who's, one, going to be solid, a guy who's going to you know take the time to pick things up uh, more quickly than someone new coming out of college uh, and a guy who knows how to be professional. So you put all those things together. And uh, again, this guy should be hungry to, to reprove somewhat remake himself a bit. And this is his chance. And I think we talked about this uh, some podcasts ago that he's auditioning, you know, for other teams, even right now. So you would, you would think a guy like that is going to take advantage of the opportunity. He sure is, and it looks like he's established himself right away as the number two guy. Natrez Patrick, undrafted free agent from Georgia, has an interesting record, some serious strengths on his sky report, some weaknesses as well, some character issues, and it appears that this guy can just play. They just set him loose in yesterday's game. He did a great job creating some havoc in the backfield, and all of a sudden his name is on pretty much any Rams media member's lips. Who is this guy? What's he doing? What was your impression of him, especially in some of the impact he made in the offensive backfield? Well, it's, it's interesting that sometimes you, you have a guy, you have these scouting reports, but at the end of the day, you're always looking for a guy who shows up when the lights go on. And that's what Mr. Patrick is starting to do. He's making himself known when it mostly counts. That's when the cameras camera action and things are going down you make plays your number and name is going to start to be called a lot you're going to be looked on so here's a guy again probably a little more hungry than other guys you know has something to prove and he's like well let me just get my opportunity i'll show you guys what i can do and then also something that i noticed out there secondary depth it's pretty clear that the Rams are very, very deep, especially cornerback at safety. 
These guys can really make a difference in the game to the point now where their second and third teamers are making plays against first teamers. And we saw that numerous times last night. The Rams have some very tough decisions coming up on who they're going to keep. And some of it is going to be based off of who will get caught up and taken in waivers. When other times before you could take somebody and say, okay, you know, Wolf, it's fine. We'll let him go. He'll go to the practice squad. Now you can't assume that player is going to go to the practice squad. It completely changes your, your thought process as to how you're going to build your roster. Maybe I'm overdoing the secondary here, but I can tell you I'm pretty happy with it for what I'm seeing. Oh, yeah. But, you know, we, when we went down our, our, our draft analysis, if you will, uh, we knew going in that there would be a lot of competition. So the cool thing with what they're doing is letting these guys have a lot of playing time early, you know, resting the veterans. Again, I, I have my opinion on that. But uh, for a guy that's coming into the league or coming on to a new team, they're getting an opportunity to show what they can do in real time, not just practice and all that good stuff but actually against another opponent who's a good team. You know, Dallas should be in the hut in the playoffs, hunt for the playoffs, excuse me. And so it's nice to see guys actually go out and compete and say, hey, I'm not going to be the guy that's left off the roster. Negatives. Negatives here. 18 penalties. We already mentioned, I'm not even sure we talk any more about it because we, we kind of just already hit it, but the 18 penalties, last week we had double ditches as well. That's a problem. We know, we know, we know before someone sends us a message on Twitter, oh my gosh, it's preseason. Yes, I know, but go back and look at the penalties. Some of them, yeah, we can get. Some of them were things that never should be happening ever as a pro, period. And so I want to see some progress there. The running back position behind Tog Gully right now still to me is not established. Like you don't have a guy who's going to step in there right away and you know that you're number two, number three, number four guy, especially the battle for four. John Kelly, Justin Davis, who's going to fill out this roster running back? Because I don't really think either one of those guys would last on a practice squad, so I won't take them. So what's the battle there? To me, if I'm picking right now who's going to make this roster running back, it's going to be obviously Todd Gurley, Malcolm Brown, then your third guy is Daryl Henderson, and then who's your fourth guy? I'm probably going with John Kelly. I like the way he's played thus far. He's just not established himself. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's the good thing, and and. It, it always comes down to the numbers game. You know, are they going to make a decision, keep four running backs, or are they going to keep an extra backer? Are they going to keep an extra lineman? The good negative, I guess, is you actually have tough decisions to make. Good thing. Bad thing is someone who's left off is going to be a great pickup for another team, which I guess isn't bad for whoever that individual player is because you still get opportunity to go play and game you love and make some money for you and your family and hopefully go out and do some community service but yeah it's uh it's gonna be tough down the stretch here because you know now we're talking what two more games two more games and i'm becoming more of the opinion is all you really need with them doing joint practices now instead of putting guys in the first team out in these games i don't really see the point anymore to all these games why I put these guys at risk i'm not sure Last night, that big hit that Troy Reader put on Dallas's guy, Dallas's quarterback, which I know is a bait on him. Listen, by the rule of the NFL, it's it's a penalty, and it's subject to ejection. I don't see why people are upset about it. I have no idea why folks would think that's not an ejection. The rule book pretty well states at that point the official has the right to make the call. But it reminded me of this whole discussion I had with Tommy last episode where I was not comfortable with the veterans not being there. I just feel like they should be there. Your whole team's playing. You're in Hawaii. You should be there. His argument was, listen, he doesn't want them out there partying. He doesn't want them out there doing anything stupid. They can stay home and work out. 
leave him home. Don't. There's no reason to bring him. You are a guy who I think at this point you would. I think I want to age you a bit because you played in the '80s and you you coach a high school team now. You have played as recently as the mid 1990s. You've been through several camps. You've played overseas. You have. Mm-hmm. Where did I mean? You've already kind of hinted at, but what is your thinking here about the Rams not taking the first teamers? Yeah, I, I disagree with that. I mean, the cool thing about being a head coach or part of an organization, you absolutely get to do it your way. So, you know, Coach McVay can do it his way, and he's going to do it his way. I get it. I just, I understand part of the thinking. The overall, I just don't understand. You're you're trying to, unless he just feels like his guys are veteran enough, that when it's time to turn the switch on, it's going to be time to turn the switch on. I like to be more of, yeah, I trust my guys are going to turn it on when the switch is on, but I want to see them do it just a little bit before that actually happens because you just don't want the team to be looking at each other like, oh, those guys are way up there and we're way down here. They kind of, kind of can do what they want. You always want it to, to be that, yeah, guys know who the real dudes are, but they also know and respect the fact that they, when they see the real dudes working alongside you, then it doesn't create this hierarchy of it's them and us as opposed to just us. So that's my only thing. I, I just think you can get a lot out of, again, the veterans being there, helping out, being there, but he knows his players better than I. Well, here's my only question about it, and this is kind of me trying to play devil's advocate here. Yeah, I tend to lean more the old school route. I totally, after last night's hit, am fine with the starter not playing in this game. I'm fine with it. I wish they played some snaps, considering I think Carolina's going to be a tough win on the road to start the season. But I'm I'm fine with them not playing. We don't really know, though, what program the staff set up for the veterans that were staying behind, do we? No. We don't. Exactly. I mean, so I'm still wondering about, you know, what if their plan here was actually just as arduous as it was right. out there. We don't know. Like The Rams are very tight-lipped on these things. They've been tight-lipped on so many things since McVay took over. The girly injury, we still don't have more than a couple little inklings of information about girly's knee and, and, the, and the death of, of possible, probable arthritis. So we don't know. For all we know, they were sitting at home eating you know, potato chips and watching the game on TV, but they could have been out at the gym all day for all we know, too. They could have been out in the field working with assistants that were there. I don't know, and that's why I'm trying to reserve judgment and keep an open mind. But the one point that you made that I can't get away from is the team aspect, that the team being together, there's value there. And I don't know me personally how I feel about it, but like you said, he knows his team. Yeah, I, I, and you, you hit on a great point, Derek. I mean, the fact is, think about it. The game was on Saturday, right? Mm-hmm. So let's just say they're here. Like, what are they doing on Friday? They go check in, go lift some weights, go run around on the field, and they call out a workout. Well, technically, if you were there in Hawaii, you're not going to be doing too much on Friday anyway. And then Saturday, you're not doing anything because that would be the game day. And then I'm gonna. I don't know if they traveled last night coming back, or they waited till Sunday today and travel back. You know, and then you know, guys may have to report this afternoon or whatever. But yeah, you here at home, man. Yeah, it could have been out all night. They don't have anybody bed checking them or anything like that. So 
Yeah, but I just totally agree with the fact of uh, there's value in just being together as brothers and just a family. So we'll find out. I guess we're going to find out real quick if the strategy works. If they go out to Carolina and get blown off the ball and they look like deers in the headlight, then we'll know that they've, <laughs> they learned their lesson this time. But, you know, I get the thing. Some of the stuff comes with the youth of a coach and they bring in different ideas and some things you try out and they work. And let's be fair, almost all of Sean McVay's ideas have worked. And so I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt. But, man, in the back of my head, I wish he was – I wish the team could have been together. One last thing, Michael Kaiser gets hurt last night. We don't have word yet. A chest injury, pectoral injury, we don't know the extent of it. We'll find out ASAP, and when we do, we'll let you know. I'm sure you'll see a break pretty quickly. And with all that in mind, we do want to give a shout-out to our sponsor, Jim Hawk. Most of us are addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. This is why you listen to our podcast and all the other great ones that you'll hear from on this show later on today. Well, if you want to learn more about the Rams history, a bit of personal touch, check out Jim Hawk's Hollywood scene, Great Glamour, in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out some story of his father and team he played for an era glitz glamour and future Hall of Famers. And read about players like Norm Van Brocklin, Elroy, Crazy Church, Tom Fierce, and Les Richter in the story spent in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawks book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. It's available both on hardback and electronic form, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And you can also find Hollywoodsteam through various other booksellers on the internet. Folks, the paperback. It's coming out September 6th. If that's your play, go get it. Also, I can tell you flat out, this book's great. If you like Rams history, you want to learn more about it, it's a great decade to learn about the different things that took place as this team entrenched itself in L.A. And all proceeds go to Homeboy Industries, which is an organization that does great work, does yeoman's work to pull people out of the gang life and make them productive members of society. So check it out. Hollywood's team, Grit Glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's worth your time. Okay, without further ado, here is our roundtable with Downtown Rams, Turf Show Times, and Locked on Rams. Check it out. Here's part one. All right, folks, you are now part of our first Rams Podcast Summit. I can't believe we're actually doing this. With me on this segment is Turf Show Times 3K, a.k.a. Joe McAtee, Locked On Rams, Brad Mater, and Downtown Rams, Jake Ellenbogen. And I got to go right away. Jake, how you doing, man? I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Joe, how you doing, bud? Rams Summit. What's up, boys? It's a wonderful day. Wonderful day. And Brad? Oh, man, we're doing great out here on the West Coast. I literally... Uh, just got up not too long ago. We had a birthday party last night, so we had a bunch of fun. I got to watch about the first half of the Rams game, but I'm excited to be on the mic, talk with you guys about all the upcoming 2019 Rams football stuff we got going on. What kind of what kind of birthday party here are you talking about? Uh, it's a girlfriend's family birthday party, so uh, yeah, it was. There's UFC fights on. Uh, that's why my voice is a little rough right now. We were yelling for Nate Diaz last night, and uh, it was a good one. Fair enough. Of course, Stipe won the championship again. Come back for that one. Good fight. Got to roll with it. All right, so I'm going to start off right away and start. I'm going to start with Joe. Joe, can you tell me what do you what do you believe were the Rams' three biggest challenges heading into the offseason and why? Oh, that's a a loaded one. Um, Probably the first biggest challenge is just to kind of maintain the the level of you know internal pressure to to 
you know, succeed given that we're coming out of a Super Bowl, right? I mean, you go back to last year, you look at guys like Roger Saffold and Andrew Whitworth and some of those guys who just hadn't had a lot of postseason success in their careers, Saffold never making it right until 2017 and Whitworth all those years with the Bengals where they were getting bounced in the first round. And you can understand for veterans like that where they would be motivated going into the season to try to make a run and, and, and get to – the Super Bowl, the kind of motivation that we're seeing guys sign with the Rams, guys like Indomit and Sue and, and now Clay uh, Matthews and Eric Weddle and that kind of motivation. Uh, you wonder if that's going to be something to sustain this year coming out of it. Do guys feel, and you, you get this from a lot of other teams. I don't want to make it specific to the Rams because we all get, you know, wrapped up in, you know, supporting the idea that they will. But a lot of times those kind of teams suffer from, the, the ability to generate the same kind of motivation and the same kind of pressure and the same kind of standards and the same kind of responsibility that got them to the Super Bowl the year before. That's why an organization like the Patriots is so unique that, and maybe Alabama at the Clemson level, that they can always generate that kind of internal pressure to make sure that they're, st- they're living up to those standards. So that's probably the biggest one. The other one, uh, man, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, responding to, and you don't want to deal with the recency bias and the short sample, but the idea of the offense coming up so short in the Super Bowl, um, and, and because that's not a reflection of the roster, we all know how good the roster is on offense, whether it's Jared Goff, the offensive line, as good as it was despite losing two guys, uh, was phenomenal last year, and then all the targets that we have at the skill positions. The offense obviously should have produced more in the Super Bowl, but the reasons why are the kind of things that Sean McVay is going to have to answer with the football, with the product this year. So maybe that's number two. And then number three is probably just the transition from a bit of an older roster. Remember at the end of the Jeff Fisher years, we were always one of those younger teams, if not the youngest team in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And because we added so many of these veterans the last couple of years, we really started to transition into something that was led by guys that had proven themselves over the course of the career. And then, you know, we had a draft last year where we didn't even get a chance to play anybody. There was no room for Joe Noteboom and Brian Allen and Micah Kaiser. There was no room for those guys on the starting roster. But we're getting to a place where now, because we moved on from, what, four uh, players last year and probably another quartet or so that are going to be leaving the roster this year, we're going to have those opportunities to bring in some young guys. So maybe those are the biggest three is is dealing with the kind of uh, internal pressure that got you to the Super Bowl and making sure that stays there and then having an offensive response to what happened against the Patriots and then starting to transition into something new and, and kind of what that symbolizes when we get into a new stadium next year. It's a, it's a, maybe an interesting trio, but it's going to be a fun one to be in how good we are at football right now. Jake, what about you? What were your three biggest challenges? Yeah, I mean, coming in the offseason, you know, you, you have to basically continue, you know, your established excellence. So, you know, Sean McVay, you know, kind of sets the tone early on, comes in 11-5. and five, And then, you know, they lose in the playoffs, and they come back next year the 13-3, and three, and they, you know, get to the Super Bowl. So now this year, you know, really you're trying to find players that, you know, fit within, uh, you know, Wade Phillips' defense. You're trying to improve upon that because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you can have – who I believe is the best defensive coordinator maybe ever. Um, But let's be honest, guys, he's had a lot of, you know, hand-me-downs. You know, he hasn't had his, like, full, uh, you know, like, roster yet. He hasn't had his, like, setup. So I think, you know, year three in his final year of his contract, and we don't know if he'll be brought back or not in favor of maybe, you know, going with Aubrey Pleasant. But you try to find, you know, guys and pinpoint guys that make sense for Wade Phillips' scheme. And they've done that, you know, gradually. But I think this year they finally, um, you know, really wanted to complete that. And, you know, you look at a signing like Eric Weddle, right? Um, 
you know, I, le- I know a lot of guys were, were really like looking at somebody like Earl Thomas or maybe, you know, a Tyron Matthew. Uh, but, you know, Eric Weddle just makes a lot of sense. You know, you talk about with, you know, Sean McBay always wanting guys, you know, extensions of the coaching staff. And Eric Weddle is that. He's a very, you know, high IQ football player, makes a lot of sense, can play uh, free safety. Two years ago, he had, I believe, seven interceptions. So, I mean, this is somebody that, you know, can generate turnovers. He's going to be a great mentor. You know, clearly when they brought him in, um, they had the idea of drafting a safety. Uh, you know, they met with a myriad of safeties, uh, guys like Will Harris uh, from Boston College. They, of course, met with the guy they drafted in Taylor Rapp, uh, Nasir Adderley at the Senior Bowl. So they met with all sorts of safeties. It was pretty, uh, you know, obvious that they were going to go in that direction. They ended up drafting two. So, you know, getting somebody like Eric Weddle, you know, kind of just falls right in place. And then now you talk about somebody like Clay Matthews, you know, sticking with the veteran presence in the room. And Clay Matthews is somebody that has developed versatility over the course of his career because when you look at his days in Green Bay, you know, when they switched to uh, Mike Pettin as the defensive coordinator, who I believe is doing a great job out in Green Bay, um, you know, he moved Clay Matthews inside at inside backer. And, you know, I think Matthews as an inside linebacker for the Rams, I don't really see being a thing. Uh, but, you know, they might now be able to kind of rotate him all over the field because of that. Uh, he is, by all means, a pass rusher. I mean, that is what he does. And I think, you know, they've kind of gone away from that um, over the you know last couple of years in Green Bay. So now he comes to, you know, Wade Phillips defense that, you know, now is really going to have, you know, an opportunity to use him correctly. Um, whether he starts or whether he's the third guy, because they do have Ibukam and they do have, uh, you know, a Fowler, um, you know, that's to, you know, be determined. But I definitely like those moves. That was their, one of their biggest challenges to me is, <clears throat> you know, letting somebody like, you know, LaMarcus Joyner go. Um, and, and I'm not saying Joyner was amazing last year by any stretch, but, you know, to go out and get Eric Weddle and, and Clay Matthews, I thought they definitely, you know, jumped over that um, that hump. But, you know, then you have to go and you have to look and see, you know, guys that, you know, made some noise. And now that you have to pay and you have to bring back and, you know, a Fowler. I mean, let's be honest, guys. You know, when, when the Rams traded for Dante Fowler, they only got four sacks out of him. But he was huge in the playoffs. And I think he's somebody that people seem to forget that, you know, was a third overall pick. Um, You could make the argument, you know, a rookie year, uh, you know, season ending injury might have hurt his development. Um, You could make the argument Yannick and Galway's emergence in Jacksonville kind of pushed him aside. And then when they brought in guys like Calais Campbell and Marcel Darius and, you know, that whole, uh, you know, Malik Jackson, all those guys kind of pushed him to the back of the line. So now he comes to the Rams, you know, an ability to, you know, kind of make a name for himself, you know, reintroduce himself. And, you know, he's 25 years old. Um, you know, this is somebody that they really wanted to bring back. And I say, you know, with the $14 million, you know, for one year, it was almost as if like they had an old school, uh, you know, franchise tag, if you will. So I thought that, you know, bringing somebody like that back was uh, huge. And then another thing that was paramount, in my opinion, was bringing back Corey Littleton. Um, this is somebody that you found. You basically, you know, your first contract extension of the McVay Sneed era was Alec Ogletree, as crazy as that sounds. So they went back and, you know, they are so, you know, they, they take accountability. 
and they look back and they're like, you know what, we might have made a mistake on Ogletree. Um, paying him this much, you know, we have a guy here, um, you know, Corey Littleton filled in nicely for Mark Barron. Um, you know, this might be a guy that we can, you know, build around and, and put him in the starting lineup. And sure enough, they did. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people, you know, Rams fans in general may not like him. Uh, but, you know, bottom line is he has gotten uh, to be a stud in coverage. Um, he's got to, you know, work obviously on, you know, his tackling skills. And, you know, that's going to come. I, I really think so. Um, this was his first year as the guy. And, you know, I thought he had a really good year. And, you know, of course, he was a pro bowler on special teams. So, um, you know, you have to be able to, you know, retain him. And so they retained him. They retained Fowler. So those were really, you know, two guys that I felt like they absolutely had to bring back. And, um, you know, now I think challenge number three is really and it's not really necessarily something that's just pushed in this offseason, but it's something that sticks in your mind. How are you going to kind of, you know, basically move around when you know Jared Goff's extensions coming up, Marcus Peters extensions coming up. Hell, this uh, John Johnson kid's pretty good. He might be too good. And, you know, that's going to be a problem, uh, you know, moving forward. You're going to have to pay him. Uh, Michael Brockers, who they love. Uh, we had Steve Weish on uh, the podcast, and, you know, he basically said the Rams love Michael Brockers, and they didn't have any interest in, you know, letting him go because that was you know, obviously talked about between all of us. I'm sure we all mentioned in some facet uh, something along the lines of potentially letting him go. But, you know, there are guys like that that you're going to have to pay. Eventually, you're going to have to pay, uh, you know, Robert Woods. Now, I know they, they gave him that raise, but, I mean, eventually you're going to have to pay him again. Uh, Cooper Cup, you know, Josh Reynolds. I mean, do you want to stick with this four-headed monster wide receiver group? Um, you know, Tyler Higby. you know, are you going to trade him away? Or you, I mean, you know, tight ends... You know, you can find tight ends, but it's one of the hardest positions to translate uh, from college to pro. Uh, so that might be a little tough, you know. And Jake, then, Jake, 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 you man, you're killing my morale, dude. I asked for the three <laughs> biggest challenges. You may have, like, through 20 of them. You're killing my morale. I think well, I should go jump off a cliff right now. Gosh. I mean, you know, the, the, the challenge, though, it, what awaits ahead is basically, like, the idea, like, oh, crap, we have all these extensions coming up. And... You know, like while that might not have been a challenge right then and there, that's a challenge that kind of sticks in the back of your mind. And so, you know, when you're doing things like you're making moves for Eric Weddle, you always have to keep that in the back of your mind. So that that I would say that was probably the third challenge. Fred, <laughs> well, Jake took about twelve challenges here, so I, I'll I think you guys kind of covered most of it. But I think really, you know, in a mix between the both of it, um, of what you guys said is, you know, a lot of it is the rebound of the Super Bowl, the disappointment of that and kind of picking up the pieces and moving right into the 2019, into the 2019 season. Uh, and, you know, kind of continuing where we left off, we were a dominant team last year. And somehow in this off season and after that Super Bowl, we kind of became this, uh, you know, three point monster of, you know, performance and, and, and doubt kind of coming into this. So I think getting back to what we do best and uh, that is one of the big challenges, kind of refocusing this group, but, and then rebuilding the roster, as you guys mentioned, you know, we had one of these really young rosters over the last couple of years and adding some of these key veterans that make big, big impacts. You know, you look back to, you know, adding Andrew Whitworth and what that meant for the team. And now you're looking at on the defensive side or adding Eric Weddle, 
And as Jake mentioned, you know, looking at the linebacker position and, and how they're addressing that and, and throwing in some new guys that we hadn't seen yet, as, as Joe mentioned. So uh, mix that in with a little bit of fresh faces on the O-line and you're thinking about, you know, the girly knee question that's gone around and like, how will this team come out and respond? Uh, we haven't seen much of it because in the preseason, obviously, McVay's not really showing us anything as far as the starters go. But I think those were the three key things really is kind of regrouping, getting back and filling in in some key positions, whether that's linebacker uh, or offensive line, and then just getting back to what Rams do best. And that's basically be a offensive monster uh, through the air with the four wide receivers that you mentioned, Jake, and then really uh, letting Wade Phillips kind of continue to add players into his system and start to trust your coaches. And that's what Sean McVay's always done is give him players Less need, you know, obviously for the reasons why they've gotten the extension there. Uh, but I'm excited about this season coming up because I think they've really addressed a lot of the issues that we did talk about here. Uh, and they're smart about looking into the future as you're talking about extensions for Marcus Peters and Jared Goff and uh, making sure the money's all there. We've taken care of the big guys uh, like Todd Gurley and Aaron Donald. So this team's really set up for not only success this year, but really over the next few years as well. I was going to one, – one more challenge that I think is worth talking about is kind of what Rev was talking about right there. And, and this is unique both because it's the Rams, given where we've been the last 15 years, but also because the glow-up under Sean McVay has been so steep is dealing with sincere expectations, right? I know, yeah. I, I know I've mm-hmm. talked to coaches and players throughout the league, and one of the things that good teams do – every team goes into the season believing – that, that they can win games if they do the right thing and that they can make a run if they all do their jobs well, right? And the good teams, the good coaches get their players to sincerely believe that in a way that maybe previous Rams teams didn't, but some other teams around the league, right? They think about the challenge for teams like the Cardinals and the Dolphins and some teams like that that we all know probably are not going to have great seasons, but how do you get those players to be motivated going into week one? Well, that's not a problem for the Rams because we just went 13-3 and and went to the Super Bowl and we got Sean McVay and we got this offensive brilliance, right? And so trying to meet that bar of expectation can be incredibly difficult because it's so high. It's so high. This is a team that, you know, can give up 51 points on Monday night football and still win. This is, you know, the the capabilities of this team are just so strong that dealing with those expectations is a weight. Now, can they live up to the weight? They did last year when people were talking about, you know, dream team and all this kind of superlatives that we had because of the name recognition moves. But those expectations are still there going into this year. And I think that's at least something as long as the Rams meet that challenge again, great. We can win a ton of games and hopefully make a playoff run. But that weight still is something that they have to deal with. And obviously if they're going to lose a couple games to start out, the weight is going to be something that we're talking about for sure. Well, I think the the big challenges for the Rams are along the lines of what you just said. I, I look at it more mentally, historically, Going back to the last Rams Super Bowl loss, it's been noted numerous times from numerous sources that that team was pretty well mentally broken after that first loss to the Patriots years ago. How do you come back from that? How do you adjust? How do you respond now to pretty much almost every expert in the league saying there's a chance this team doesn't even win the division? They're a 9-17. and uh, Jared Goff, we have folks saying he's, he's a 19th-ranked quarterback out of 40. All these different people questioning everything you got. To me, there's a mental aspect to it that the Rams don't have to answer, even down to the matchups, going down to the Super Bowl and getting outcoached by one of the best ever. That's something to be ashamed of. But now, how do you respond to that chess match you're going to have with other NFL coaches who try to emulate Bill Belichick throughout the rest of the next, of this season? 
the other challenge I see is this more, how do you, are you going to properly replace the interior line? And what about the interior defense there? If, if they meet those challenges, this team is fine. They're a Super Bowl contender. If they don't, this could be a really disappointing year. So who knows? And then in terms of addressing the challenges, I want to see if the Rams move outside the box on how they're going to attack these teams that, they go up against them defensively. How are they going to work against these teams to try and pull a Bill Belichick on them? How are they going to move in their 11 personnel offense? Are they going to adapt more? How are they going to, how are they going to shift that out? The big thing for me, though, is still the offensive line. And we're seeing good signs with Joe Noteboom and Brian Allen. They're not playing them all that much. They kept the starters home. So that's a good sign. But we're going to find out for real here in a couple of weeks if they actually met those challenges and same thing for the defense. I'm concerned about Michael Kaiser's injury last night and what that means for the interior of the, the front seven. Can they stop the run? Will they be able to effectively shut teams down enough to get the offense back in the field? So those are my big challenges and concerns and how I think the Rams answered them. Well, they made those moves. Let's see what they do. Joe, how did they address those challenges in your opinion? I think they did fine. I mean, they started with the offensive line last year, right? And I remember there were some people criticizing uh, the Rams' unwillingness to draft a linebacker early in 2018. (laughs) I had no problem with them dealing with the offensive line because we knew this transition was coming. And that was without knowing how well Austin Blythe was going to work out, right? Had he not worked out last year, you might have been talking about needing to get three offensive linemen. Um, A a quick question for you guys. What what are you more concerned about from a personnel standpoint, the offensive line or the edge? Derek, it sounds like you're more worried about the line. I'm more worried about the interior on the offensive and defensive sides. I mean, that's where I'm – I actually think we're fine on the edge, and I think we're fine on the outside of the offensive line. It's that interior trench warfare that I'm worried about. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, I, I when I was watching the game last night, I mean, I gotta I gotta say this. Um, I think they're deep in really every area except for offensive line, and I know that sounds crazy because I also said this was like the deepest they've ever been on offensive line, but they're not there yet. You know, David Edwards, in my opinion, it, it you know I wouldn't say he's NFL ready, but he has a higher floor than say somebody like Bobby Evans, who looks like he has a long way to go. You know, Jamil Demby. Um, yeah, I don't know if it benefits him moving all over, you know, the offensive line. And actually, that's something I want to bring up. You know, Aaron Cromer does this cross training thing and has everybody move all over the offensive line. And Chandler Brewer was playing left tackle late in the fourth quarter last night. Not a tackle. You know, to me, I actually feel like that's hurting their development. You know, like just throwing them all over the place throughout the whole. You can't really gain that, you know, cohesiveness, right? Um, somebody like Vitas Ferenkowitz really only played center. There's a reason why, you know, his pro football focus grade was probably better than anybody else. There's a reason why when you watch the film, and I went back late last night and rewatched that game, he looked the best. I mean, he really did, you know, and, and there are guys that stand out, but when you're moving all over the, the, you know, the offensive line like that, that's pretty difficult. So, you know, I will, you know, give them some slack, but they, they don't have any, like, established backups. You know what I mean, guys? Like, they don't have, like, a Jamon Brown as their sixth man. You know, they don't have, I mean, I'm not saying Bobby Hart's the best. I mean, he's literally starting in Cincinnati. But, like, Bobby Hart as a backup might not be bad. You know, somebody like that. Instead, they're kind of going with some rookies and some two-year guys that don't really have a lot of experience. So I'd say offensive line. 
Yeah, I think that's the part that kind of worries me a little bit about the offensive line that Jake just said is is if someone goes down, like right now I feel pretty good about Allen and Noteboom and, and their progression and, and how the coaching staff feels about them coming into the season. But if someone does go down, if Andrew Whitworth goes down, the, the depth of what we have right now is going directly to you know a rookie or someone in an unproven ground. So uh, that is the, the sketchy thing about that offensive line. But if you, you go to the other side of the ball and look at the defense – Outside of Aaron Donald on that front line, uh, you're looking at trying to get pressure on the quarterback. That was the big thing, you know, even with the addition of Fowler and that contract was like, hey, we're paying you a bunch of money. We need you now to get to the quarterback at a consistent level because Aaron Donald had 20 and a half sacks last year. The rest of the group really, you know, had maybe, what, 15 sacks together. So uh, they need to step it up, not only getting to the quarterback, but when you're giving up five yards per carry, who's going to step in and that line? Uh, you talk about the Rams loving Brockers. Well, uh, we would love him, too, if he'd help stop the run a little bit more and kind of stuff up that middle. Uh, excited about, you know, some of the new guys that we got that we're going to plug in in that line and kind of get into rotation and see how they kind of, you know, step their game up and really as a unit can kind of step the game up because uh, you're looking at that secondary and you keep, you know, we said it last year, you know, the Rams are going all in for it with these trades and, you know, all those cliche terms. Uh, and then here we are just getting run, you know, left and right, you know, five yards per carry. So uh, they've got to fix that up. But, you know, the the depth at O-line is also nerve wracking because if an injury happens, now you're really going from, you know, we've got these guys, as Joe said, it's this, you know, had this understanding, this plan of getting a bunch of guys that we can develop. But all of a sudden uh, you may have to turn to one of them and say, all right, your, your development is over. And now you're going in and, and you're hitting full action. So. Um, it, it's one of those good problems to have, though, because you're not looking at a roster as, you know, I think it was Joe mentioned too earlier, looking at the Dolphins and some of these other teams out there that they're trying to motivate and get ready for the season. We're a deep roster from top to bottom at multiple positions. So uh, these are, you know, good problems to have in, in, a, in a weird way because you're looking at limited space where we can really have this conversation about, you know, we're nervous about a certain position. So. Uh, those two are tough, but uh, each kind of bring their own uh, worrisome to the table. A couple things I want to bring up here before we move on to the next question here, though, with that is, A, there is no perfect NFL roster. There's always going to be a weakness somewhere. There's always going to be somewhere where you're a little soft, and I think this case with Jake Springer in terms of the offensive line is it. It's, it's still talented. It's underdeveloped, so it's a soft spot. There's no perfect roster spot. I think I'm only worried about the actual offensive line if somebody gets hurt early. If they can stay healthy first few weeks of the season to where they can get some of these guys some in-and-out work during the week, they're going to be fine. If they got to rush Bobby Evans in or Edwards in week one because someone got hurt, then I'm concerned. Then I'm really concerned. Yeah, I, I'm in the minority, even over at Tertia Times among my crew, is I'm much more worried about the edge rush than I am the offensive line. I, th- I think part of my confidence in the offensive line twofold. One, last year was probably the best Rams offensive line I've ever seen. We were ranked number one in rushing by football outsiders and sixth in pass protection. And we got three of those guys coming back. And so I, even though there's a transition, we've at least got the majority of that line coming mm-hmm. back. And I think the other side is giving them a benefit of the doubt. I know for whatever reason, fans like to give their team a benefit of the doubt, even when they haven't earned it. And we used to do that every year with, you know, Jeff Fisher and different groups on that side of the ball. This offensive line has earned that benefit of that. And I think Cromer, despite the fact that, yeah, moving some of these guys around, like you talked about, Jake, is making things look a little iffy through two preseason games this year. But when you get to the regular season work that they've put in the last two years, I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt to have some confidence that he's going to be able to make it work with Note Boom and Allen, who haven't played this preseason in an offensive line that 
we haven't even seen, you know, when we get to week one. I'm much more concerned with the edge rush because, like Brett m- mentioned, we didn't get a ton of pressure. I mean, forget the stacks. If you just look at the, the pressure rates from the edge, it was pretty poor last year. And that, that that was why we ended up trading for Jacksonville's third edge rusher that now we maybe have supplemented with Clay Matthews at the end of his career. If, if teams start figuring out that they should be doubling and tripling Aaron Donald more than they have been, I know that seems ridiculous, but he's that good. And I think uh, whether it's the Patriots or the Bears, we've seen teams that are more willing to do that, have more success dealing with them. That's going to force guys on the edge to have to step up. And I'm just worried that we're not in a position to have the right guys there right now as as good as the kind of offensive line play that we're going to see over the course of this year. Joe, I think the counter to that, though, is actually the secondary. If the secondary yeah, oh, for sure. for does sure. what it's supposed to do, like what it should have done last year, but it kind of yep. didn't do, then it's going to help create some of that edge rush, even if it's not there. I, I, I share some of those same concerns. I'm just more worried on the short term is if you can't stop the run, they won't even need to worry about a pass rush. They'll just hammer us. But that secondary yeah, can create... We saw it last cover. night there was a coverage sack, right, early yeah. on? Yeah. yeah. And that, so that's why I'm not as, as worried about the edge rush, because we have a secondary, which should be quote-unquote, and I said this last year, I took a lot of heat for it because I wound up being completely wrong, it should be one of the best in the league. It's one of the deepest in the league, and so we'll see. I mean, you guys have thoughts? Yeah, I mean, taking a look at what they've done in the offseason, you know, you're talking about adding a guy like Clay Matthews. And, you know, as we mentioned at the end of his career, not sure really what we're going to get. But hearing the things that he's, you know, saying coming out of camp, talking about, you know, he loves the way that Wade is using him in this defense. And he's kind of getting back to the way he felt in his dominant years in Green Bay. And and another thing I like about him coming in here is in Green Bay, he was kind of that Aaron Donald figure, right? That long-term figure there that everyone had this expectation of what he had to deliver every year in and out. And now you're coming in to this loaded defense. You got the, you know, veteran presence of Eric Weddle that's taking up some attention, the the cornerbacks and the safeties, and, and then Aaron Donald, obviously. So now he's just kind of this guy roaming, fitting in, and hopefully getting back to this style of play, which we saw him in Green Bay, where he was just, he didn't know where he was coming from. And they're going to throw him around the field and, and get him to be active, uh, we talked about the Dante Fowler and giving him a bunch of money and and having him for a short period of time and start to see the production near the end of the year. So I'm expecting big things from him because I think one of the things with him, too, in, in a weird way, is you get kind of this picture of in Jacksonville, he felt unwanted. And that really kind of seemed to bug him. And, and he was a top overall pick, but he never really had that feeling. You come, you talked about the injury and then, you know, coming in, being the third, uh, you know, edge presence out there and. by the time we got him so I think now that he's got this you know one-year deal but a bunch of money uh putting in him that we've you know he's the starter where he's got this full off-season work he seems to almost to be happier out here like he he still got that chip on his shoulder but now he's kind of got he's looking to the left and the right and he's like these guys are riding with me where in Jacksonville I don't think he really had that and and for some players that is a big part of being successful so I think he's going to have a monster year and and kind of add to, you know, we're talking about getting to the quarterback and helping out with Aaron Donald. So excited about, you know, those two guys and what they can bring as far as pressure goes. And then obviously the emergence of, you know, Sebastian Joseph Day and, uh, you know, looking at can we get a little bit more production from Mike, Michael Brockers. The Rams love him. I, I love him. But at the same time, I want to see a little bit more production from him. I know he's a great leader, uh, but we need to see also him helping stop the run and getting – some some pressure to the quarterback so I think we're in a really good place I know it's a big question mark coming in but I actually feel like this team defensively on the line is going to be a lot better than they were last year Jake 
So, you know, when I when I'm looking, like you said, like Sebastian Joseph Day, um, can I just say I wasn't thoroughly impressed with him the last two games? I mean, like you know, there. I think really it's a tale of two things. It's you know we're seeing guys that are really you know making plays in preseason, and we're seeing guys that aren't making plays in preseason, but you know we're not seeing them, but the coaching staff is seeing them. You know, make plays in practice. Um, you know, as far as like the the defensive line is concerned. You know, I'm a really big fan of Greg Gaines. Um, I think he's going to have a bigger role than what the you know the depth chart said. I think this is somebody that's probably going to come in, and you know he's probably you know going to be that nose tackle. I know you know Sebastian Joseph Day won it initially, um, but the Rams also you know gave Tanzel Smart you know a ton of play uh, his first year, and I don't feel like he got any better. Um, I'm starting to wonder if that's going to be like Sebastian Joseph Day. To me, you know, Greg Gaines uh, in pass rushing efficiency for defensive linemen, he was on the same list as guys like Quinnen Williams and Jerry Tillery, and so was Boogie Roberts for that instance. Um, you know, so, I mean, I think this guy brings more than just nose tackle ability to the table. Um, I know Sean McVay mentioned him during the broadcast and you know, that he made a play. And, um, you know, I, I, to me, I, I like that move. I think guys like Mo Fox, who didn't have an opportunity to really produce anything last year due to a season-ending injury, um, people forget he had 60-plus snaps against the Falcons in the playoff game. Um, albeit Brockers went down, but that's legit. Like, they, you know, they look at him, and clearly he has a role. Um, you know, so I look at guys like that. You know, really, the the three UDFAs, Boogie Roberts uh, from San Jose State, Marquise Copeland, who had a sack last night uh, from Cincinnati, and Bryant Jones, um, you know, I like all three of them. I think, like you know, when people say they have a weakness in the, the run defense department, um, you know, I can definitely see that. I think more it's gap assignments. See, you know, when I was watching the, the Cowboys, uh, uh, you know, postseason game you know when they played in the postseason everyone's like well Aaron Donald really isn't getting to the quarterback right I just feel like they sold out more to stop the run and I'm wondering you know Aaron Donald I I heard you know earlier um I think it was Joe that mentioned you know what if teams start triple teaming him I think really you know he as somebody that could definitely break the sack record I almost wonder if the Rams are going to be more conservative in that approach and try to get more uh, from their edge guys. Um, because if you really believe in Clay Matthews' ability, you believe in Dante Fowler's, you know, Sam Sibukans, all of those guys, then, I mean, you can start kind of selling out for the run interior. And, I mean, obviously that may not be the best way to use Donald, but it worked against Ezekiel Elliott. And you guys know during the postseason, uh, or before that game, everyone was talking about how Ezekiel Elliott was going to run all over the Rams' defense. And, you know, it, it did seem like everyone was talking about him the way, you know, everyone was talking about the Falcons with Tevin Coleman and, you know, Devontae Freeman. And the Rams sold out to make sure that didn't happen. So, you know, I look at this defensive line, and I definitely think, you know, they're not perfect. And I think losing Sue might have hurt, but I also really believe in John Franklin Myers. I do believe Brockers is going to probably... 60 i think he's gonna have a better season this year i think last year was surprisingly his worst year um but you know i'm not really worried about this defensive line i think they're gonna figure it out and i'm really interested to see um and and i forget the guy's name the defensive line coach like it's eric something um eric Henderson. henderson there we go 
but like I'm really interested to see if like he makes somewhat of an impact. You know, and you, and you won't see that obviously with guys like Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers, but you might see that with the younger guys. I wonder if he makes some sort of impact, you know, as far as player development and all of that, that Bill Johnson might not have made who just uh, got hired by LSU. I mean, that's the word that's been coming out of camp, though, is that Henderson's done a great job already. Yeah. So we'll see. All right, so this is my last question for this segment. That we'll, I, I had a bunch of them, but if I'm going to ask one and get you guys' take on it, it's going to be this one. What do you make of the consistent criticism that Jared Goff received at the end of last season and during this offseason, and how do you believe he will react to that criticism coming into this season? Jake, I'll start with you first. So I just got to say, and people disagree with me, but I firmly believe Jared Goff played injured. I, I don't think he was fully 100%. And after that hit that he took against, I think it was Alan Bailey and D Ford, he got up gingerly. Like, probably the, the most, I think that was the hardest hit he's taken his career, aside from Richard Sherman. I mean, that was kind of head-on. But, I, I mean, I think that was the worst hit he's taken his career. He got back up, but, you know, Jared, somebody, he gets hit, he gets right back up. He was down for a while. He still made an unbelievable throw to Gerald Everett to basically win that game. He made plays at the end. But you could see after that game, he wasn't the same. You know, you go back to the Lions game. You know, everyone was like, oh, the, the Rams are going to toast the Lions. The Lions have no chance. The Rams actually were, you know, kind of, that that was a tough game. You know, the Lions were coming down the field to tie the game, and Aaron Donald with the strip sack on Matthew Stafford changed everything. But let's not forget the Lions were driving and had a chance to tie the game at Ford Field. Um, so, you know, you move forward to the Eagles game. How does he miss that throw? Uh, it was the, well, the one I think it was to Josh Reynolds. You know, or, um, you know, it's just there's all different plays, you know, down the stretch where it's like, man, like, where was Jared Goff, you know, earlier in the year? Where is he now? And and I just kind of look at it like I feel like he was banged up. I don't know if it was his hand. I don't know. Maybe he got rattled in that game. Um, I, I don't know. But, and, you know, he and I won't even say he figured it out against the Saints. While I think he played well, I still think, you know, you can play well and not be at your best. And I feel like that's really what it was, guys, is that Jared was banged up from the Chiefs game. And, you know, rightfully so. It was a 54-51, like, you know, masher. I mean, he got hit so many times, and Patrick Mahomes got hit so many times. It was just that was the nature of the game. And, you know, I almost wonder maybe the bye being that late in the year also didn't help. But, um, you know, I, I just think, like, to me, you know, Jared was not 100%. And while he was still able to make the plays needed to get to the Super Bowl, I think... You know, when it, what it came down to is he just wasn't the Jared Goff that we saw earlier in the year. And, I mean, that's okay, but, you know, when you're playing in a Super Bowl, you know, other guys have to step up on offense, and, you know, that wasn't, that didn't happen. So, you know, when the offensive line that was named, you know, for built for a tough offensive line of the year kind of got shut down by guys like, you know, Dante Hightower and, you know, Danny Shelton, and, I mean, Kyle Van Noy ate that game. I think that's really, you know, what hurt him. Um, but that's just me. I mean, I I don't know for sure if he was hurt. I just I don't feel like he was the same after that hit. But how do you think he reacts to that Christian coming this season? Now, coming into the season, I think he's going to be fully fine. Because I think, you know, people are saying he's going to be rattled and all that. I mean, I get it's just camp, you know, jibber-jabber and all that. But everything that I've heard and, and seen on, you know, you know, articles and such and people reporting and... It just seems to me like you know Jared is leaps and bounds ahead where he was last year. 
um, in you know joint training camp. You know because they played against the uh, they were against the Ravens, and I kept seeing Eric Weddle picks off uh, Goff, uh, Tony Jefferson. He's having a hard time. That wasn't really the case against the Chargers. I, I pretty much heard. You know, at least, you know, you guys can tell me otherwise. But, I mean, I pretty much heard that, you know, golf looked pretty excellent in that. And, you know, I mean, that's really all we can really judge him on at this point since we haven't seen him in any preseason games. And, I mean, guys, I don't want to see him in any preseason games, so I'm okay with that. But, um, you know, I think he's going to come back. I've gone out on a limb and said he's going to be runner-up MVP this year. Brad? Yeah, I think as far as, you know, Goff reacting to criticism, the nice thing that we have going on with this organization is this is a tight-knit group, right? And the, the only concerns they're worried about are those of in the building. Uh, Jared Goff's the number one overall pick, right? He's gone through rough seasons his early years in Cal. He's learned how to lose and, you know, get thrown to the ground and get back up and those type of things. So when you're a number one overall pick, you better not be worrying about outside criticism, especially when you threw 4,600 yards that year uh, and led a team to the Super so at that point, I think it's all noise around. And the nice thing that Sean McVay does, he builds his own noise in the building, uh, building in confidence into these guys. So I think at this point, Jared Goff is getting more and more comfortable in this offense. You hear, uh, you know, stuff coming out of camp about, you know, he looks to be controlling that offensive line and seems, you know, easier with kind of audibles and, and really making the play calls and adjusting on the go uh, where he's been in the last couple of years. So I'm really, really excited about him coming into this because I think he's really just washed all that out. He's not worried about being a, you know, top three quarterback in the media's eyes right now. We've got a lot of guys in their elder years uh, in the quarterback room, you know, on the national football scale. So he's going to work his way up that list. It's going to be slower than some. I mean, it's funny. Jared Goff kind of comes off as a boring quarterback, right? His interviews, uh, you know, not too exciting. He doesn't have this flashy wardrobe like Cam Newton coming into the press conference or anything like that. Uh, but he's just going to be just fine. I think the great thing about him is the, the people he has around, especially Sean McVay and that connection that they're going to build. And really, the, the you know, we're looking at him signing this massive contract coming up and, you know, the national you know scale is going, are the Rams going to pay him? Uh, you know, should they give him this much? Should they move on and draft a new quarterback? And because McVay is the man and they've been very clear since day one that, you know, Jared Goff is their guy and they're going to take care of it. And and so I think that confidence in him is also helping kind of let him, uh, you know, cancel out all the outside noise. So I think for, for, you know, looking at, you know, his confidence coming in, especially after that loss of the Super Bowl and putting up three points. I think, he, you know, he said it best in, in one of, in a lot of the press conferences when he talked about it was the tough thing was there was no next game. He wanted to come back out that fighting spirit of being like, man, three points. That's not us. Let us let us get another crack at it. So uh, I think he's chomping at the bit. I'm excited. You know, Jake mentioned as a you know runner up MVP candidate. And if you look back into the season, there was a point where he was in that conversation. And, and you know, we went through that drought where we, you know, hit the Lions, the Bears. Uh, the Eagles, and he really kind of struggled into the end of the season. But I think he's going to be just fine. And really, if he can, you know, keep that consistency level and, and keep some guys healthy around him, we saw Cooper Cup when he went out, it kind of really hurt him. Uh, then he's going to be just fine. And, and Jake may be right; he can have another push at that MVP race if all all things kind of fit into place. Joe, yeah. So in terms of dealing with the golf criticism from national pundits, I think my reaction would best be summed up just by saying. Uh, here's the bottom line right Uh, first disclaimer i've always been higher on golf than the average pundit has since the end of his first season right 
where people were calling him a bust. I said, come on, he's played seven games. It's too early in his career. We got to wait and see what happens. At the end of 2017, people were ready to pronounce him, you know, the best quarterback. In the- it's too early in his career. We're talking about a guy who's played two and a half seasons, man. Right. If you go back and like, th- think about like Drew Brees or Phillip Rivers or Peyton Manning, nobody cares about their first three seasons. That was the precursor that they had to grow into the game and develop their skill set so that they could apply it, you know, down the stretch. So I, I, I number one, I've got a pro golf bias that's stronger than most. Second, when we talk about the rankings of like Jared Goff coming in 19th or whatever, and the kind of stuff we see from like Mike Florio or, you know, Colin Coward or Stephen A. Smith, these national pundits, one of the things to remember with those guys is they don't watch all the football. They don't have enough time in the day to do a TV show, to do a podcast, to write, to do all that work, and actually watch 16 games a week. Whoa, 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 Joe, 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 hold on. Are you trying to say that CN is not a full (laughs) expert? like when Jake <laughs> dropped the Rams Lions game, none of them watched that game. There's not a single one of them that actually watched that game. <laughs> no they, way. Watch, they, they watched the Rams Chiefs. They watched maybe a playoff game, the Super Bowl, obviously. But you're talking about how many games from golf have they actually seen? So for those of us that are Rams fans that have watched mm-hmm. every game of him and seen growth from year one, but year one was such an anomaly, we can kind of throw that out. But you go back to 2017, into 2018, and into the playoffs, and especially the Saints game at the end of that game. It was playing the fourth quarter in overtime. At that point, the most important game of his career. I'll throw this out as the hyperbole. Jared Goff has the best trajectory of any quarterback in the NFL. He's gotten better over the last three years, more so than anybody else. His, his improvement is much, much, much better than anybody else. Now, the bar was set very low. His bar, right, the bar that he set mm-hmm. in 2016 was lower than what Dak did, lower than Carson Wentz, lower than Baker Mayfield, lower than Deshaun Watson. But his growth is higher than anybody's. And here's what I don't understand when we talk about this criticism is, why do we assume that the growth has stopped, right? Why, why do He made a huge leap from 2016 to 17. He made a huge leap that may have been bigger and more important from 2017 to last year. I don't understand why we shouldn't assume that he's going to make another leap from last year to this year. It may not bear exactly. out the statistics and fantasy football, but I don't know why we shouldn't assume that Jared Goff in 2019 isn't going to be better overall as a quarterback in terms of his independent play, play like we saw at the end of the Saints game, play like we saw against the Vikings and the Chargers. That's not ascribed to a system not a system quarterback. That's not ascribed to the talent at wide receiver or Todd Gurley, but a quarterback who is managing independent plays based on his own skill. I don't know why we shouldn't assume that he's going to be better at that this year. So I've got a pro golf bias. I've had one for years. I just don't understand why when you've got a guy that I'll throw it out there has the best trajectory, we shouldn't assume that that's going to continue. I get it. The Super Bowl left a bitter taste in everybody's mouth. But that's one game out of the 19 games he played last year. And if you look at his 19 games, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I just don't understand why. Yeah, number one, I don't understand why people are dropping him so low in these kind of quote-unquote rankings, but I don't understand why his Rams fans really care about it, because if he continues to play this way, and if he makes another leap, we're talking about a guy that's going from top 20 to top whatever he was last year, top 12, you're talking about a guy who's going to be in top five, top six category in a league with Tom Brady and Phillip Rivers and Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers, and he's younger than all of them. So if he makes another jump, I, I just don't worry about how the criticism is going to be uh, levied out from you know pundits that don't necessarily watch the football and like brett said they don't care about this stuff man is anybody more unflappable than jared goff does anybody care less than jared goff he's it's that nonchalance of being able to deal with whatever happens for better or for worse that may be his strongest you know character trait 
And I think that's only going to benefit him more going into this season because this could be the last year where we're talking about criticism of Jared Goff. And next year we may be talking about praise and whether it's being eked on too much. That's the thing is I, I think a lot of folks don't understand. It's part of it's his attitude, the I don't give a bleep attitude. He just talked about the other day in a press conference. Every time something goes wrong, he doesn't say, well, we did this, we did that. He knows, I'll fix it. I'll fix it. And then he never says anything else. And when someone asks him about criticism, he just says, okay, whatever. Okay. That's the thing. I like that kind of guy who's like, I'm not looking at the back. I'm looking at the forward. And quite frankly, if we're really honest about that Super Bowl or that Bears game, Tom Brady, Brett Favre, any one of those quarterbacks is running for their life in those games too. Honestly. They're running for their life. I mean, the offensive line didn't do him any favors in those games. Did he make some mistakes? Absolutely. But if we're going to put blame somewhere and somewhere where some of the criticism belongs, then it doesn't belong solely on his shoulders. I look forward to Jared Goff's development as it continues. And you're right. His development's not done yet. He still has a long way to go, and I'm totally sold on where he's going. You br- you brought up Tom Brady. Just a point. I wrote it on Tertial Times, but the, part of the problem is just the idea of that Jared Goff is fighting a narrative, right? Tom Brady didn't play any better than Jared Goff did in the Super Bowl. They had, they had practically the same game. The only difference mm-hmm. is that they got a single touchdown out of a one big play that wasn't because of Tom Brady, and their defense was able to carry the game. They, Tom, Tom Brady didn't do anything special in that Super Bowl, but... Because of the power of the narrative, we come out of that game saying, what, Sean McVay and Jared Goff are the ones who didn't come up big in that game. But somehow Bill Belichick and Tom Brady did when they scored 13 points? Come on, man. <laughs> they just did a little yeah. more. Uh, well, I, and I got to add to that because, you, you know, you are absolutely right, uh, Joe. I, you know, my, my biggest thing is if Jared Goff didn't play as bad as everyone's saying either. Because if you look at, like, say, the year Tom Brady beat the Rams in the Super Bowl, his like his first year, um, you know, he dinked and dunked his way, you know, in basically in uh, prevent defense <laughs> so they could kick a game-winning field goal. So, I mean, how many plays did he make? He had 152 yards. You know, like, how many plays did he really have to make? So it goes back to Jared Goff. Well, Jared Goff, I mean, if, if Brandon Cooks catches that touchdown, we have a different game, guys. And, and, you know, then the narrative is, wow, this 24-year-old quarterback went into Atlanta, Georgia, and took down the New England Patriots dynasty. You know, if, if say, they, they do end up winning that, and he makes two plays. You know, you talk about the, the play um, going deep down the field that uh, Dan Orlovsky broke down. And, uh, you know, Brandon Cooks... You know, people say he dropped it. I mean, it was hard because he just didn't have much room to really, you know, get his feet in the end zone and, and stay in bounds even if he catches it. Uh, but Goff, he had to wait. And I know people are saying he took too long on that. It was actually a nice play by Jared Goff. They're in quarters coverage. Uh, the field was shrinking because he, he, like, that's a tight window throw. You know, you have your safety coming up over the top. That's going to be a pick if he, you know, throws it earlier, right? So. You know, he had to wait for, you know, the, the guy who was shielding over the top uh, to, to try and get it to Cooks. And, you know, a play like that, that wasn't a bad throw. I mean, if that's a bigger receiver, say if that's Josh Reynolds, he might come down with that. He might be able to even get his feet in balance because he might be in better position. But, since you know, Brandon Cooks, that that's a tough one. And, you know, he had a lot of those, you know, close plays. Uh, Goff didn't play as bad as everyone else is saying. I went back and I watched it like six times, and I'm like, you know what? You know, the, the Rams, I mean, this game was so, this game could have been so much different 
if that hold on John Sullivan wasn't called. And like, I mean, I know, you know, we can point at the referees all we want, but that that is not about, you know, pointing the finger or anything. That's just showing you how close this game was. <laughs> I mean, you know, if they don't call that hold, the Rams surpass the 50, and I believe it was 3-3 three to three at that point, and, you know, now they're they're past the 50, and, you know, the, the percentage chance of them uh, winning the game was up to 55%, and then after the call, it was 45 you know, it's it just goes to show you that, like you said, Tom Brady didn't play much better, and this game was really kind of a 50-50 the whole game. And instead, the loser gets the whole, well, you know, Goff, like, he, he just he struggled in the moment. And and trust me, he did. I mean, there were, there were plays he missed, and then throwing it up there, uh, just it, it really was, you know, disappointing throwing it up there. And, you know, Gilmore is like, I mean, he's just waiting for it. Like, it's like a punt return, right? But, uh you know, I, I just don't think he played as bad as he did. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because Tom Brady did not play uh, that much better than Jared Goff, if even. He made a really nice throw to Gronkowski, but for the most part, if you want to talk about Edelman, you know, going over 100 yards, that was pretty much Wade Phillips' game plan. Keep it all in front of them. You know, they they were playing bend, don't break, and it worked. And they just needed, you know, if the Rams got 75% of what they're capable of on offense, that game wouldn't have been close. Brett, any final thoughts before we switch uh, segments? Yeah, I think those guys covered it, too, about, you know, especially looking at that Super Bowl. I mean, that game was way too close, and it is funny. I mean, being, you know, in the Rams media and in, in a Rams fan and the rest of my friends and family all know that and hearing that same narrative that, you know, Joe described and, and looking at the game and going back and seeing, you know, Jared Goff and, and Tom Brady had the exact same game, basically. You know, one play leads to a touchdown, and, and you talk about that, uh, you know, Brandon Cook's catch in the end zone, another one that went over his shoulder that, you know, again, could have been a little pass interference, should have been caught as well. Uh, but this was a game was both ways. And I think that, again, for a young quarterback to get there, these are the experiences we saw them go in and lose home at Atlanta in his first playoff game. Uh, that taste leaves something that you need to get back to and, and good quarterbacks and elite programs build off of that. So I'm excited for Jared Goff and what he's going to bring into this season, kind of with those experiences, those losses, as much we would have loved to see that win a loss goes a long way as far as uh you know development and joe mentioned like who said who you know who said that he stopped uh you know improving at this point that that we have seen the cap of what jared goff is and i don't think any of us really believe we've seen that yet so uh you know his ceiling is still kind of moving upwards right now uh and really just kind of the relationship with mcveigh and and that organization and how they keep giving weapons for him and, and protecting him up on the line uh, you know, he, we should see another great season from him. And I'm really kind of excited to see how good this guy can get over the next couple of years. Because, again, we said it earlier in the podcast, but we're not just thinking about, you know, this coming year. But if you look at the future of this team, uh, you're looking at a team that can be in the picture for a long time. So here's my final thought here. I learned everything I need to know about Jared Goff in the first and second. Yeah, in the first and second quarter of the Saints game, the championship game. When I saw how he reacted to all that adversity, everything going wrong, and he led that team out of there. So that's all I need to know. I know what's in there. Can he do that every game out? We'll find out. But that's what I, that's all I need to know at that point. There's a leader there. All right. So, folks, to listen to the rest of this roundtable, you got to make the tour around the Rams podcast. We're heading on over to Joe McAtee, 3K for the Turf Show Times, and we'll keep flowing from there. We'll see you soon. 
All right, Mike. So that was a really fascinating conversation about the things leading into this offseason and, re- and how the team has responded to it. And of course, at the end there, I left the questioning with Jared Goff. And I, I wanted to ask you this question as well. For me, Jared Goff took too much heat in the offseason for what really is big when it comes to him. Like, what I mean by that is, I mean, Jared Goff took a lot of criticism from experts across the aisle. Some had him as ranked as 19th out of 40 quarterbacks. It just wasn't, to me, a good assessment for all that he has done in the last two years. But his response this last week was, okay, you know what? I, I know what they're saying. I don't care. You know, they can say what they want. My focus is here. Pretty much kind of giving them the middle finger. I don't like you. Go away. Okay. <laughs> What do you make of his attitude overall? What do you make of the criticism that he receives? Well, you know, the criticism is always going to be at the quarterback's feet, foot, if you will, or feet. Uh, whether you're good enough, not good enough, shouldn't have did this, you shouldn't have did that. You know, you get too much praise when it's good, too too much uh, negative when it's not good, if you will, uh, criticism, if you will. So, uh, I think he's realized no matter what he does, he's not going to please everyone. Once you get that in your head, you just go out and play football and whatever people say, they say, you know, now I'm sure in his mind, though, all I need to do is go out, be consistent, play effectively and good things will happen. And so I'm somewhat proud of him because you have to come to that degree of I'm going to say confidence in yourself or your mm-hmm. ability to know that, yeah, there's no way for me to please everyone because the same guy saying I'm garbage, the next day is going to be saying, oh, I'm the next best thing to slice bread. And you kind of go, okay, wait a minute. How do you change so easily? So you you figured out early on that when it comes to the media, it can be positive, but a lot of times it's going to be negative because it just seems like people would rather be negative than positive. And overall, his development's fine. There are fewer quarterbacks in the league I'd rather have, just based on his demeanor alone. Nothing affects him long-term. Every time he takes a shot, he comes back, it's not going to be better next time. And that's the kind of guy you want. Not every quarterback is able to let some of these things roll off their, you know, roll off their back the way he does. And there's a lot to say about that kind of mentality. So, yeah, fine. You go ahead and say he's 19th in the league. The numbers don't show that. Not at all. And the numbers in the end are what's going to matter when they this team to the playoffs and to the Super Bowl. Yeah, like I said before in the show, I learned all I need to know about Jared Goff in the NFC Championship game when that team has back against the wall, when their headsets aren't working, where it's so loud in there they came and think straight, and Jared Goff led that offense. So that's all I need to know. He's a leader. That's all I need to know. Yeah, I mean, he just goes about his business, and that's what you're looking for, someone at the quarterback position. And, you know, again... You, you have this comparison. People would think, you know, Baker Mayfield. And I go, yeah, I wouldn't like to really play with that guy. Now, people are like, oh, you would. And I'm like, no, just go play the position and quit trying to bring, bring so much attention to yourself. And so Jared, I'm sure, has a lot of respect of his teammates. And unfortunately, sometimes if you're not a loud mouth, you know, known for biting in bars, then it looks like you're somewhat passive. And so uh, – I like the idea of having a quarterback that's cool and calm because there are going to be situations that you need that calmness when it seems like all hell is breaking loose on the field. All right, folks, it is time for us to go. Before we go, 
just want to let you know we are looking for sponsors for the 2019 season. Reach out to us at ramstop1945 or at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail uh, or email voicemail. Voicemail is 657-665-4453. We have a media kit ready to get out to you. Also, uh, just so you know, just as a reminder, our podcast team, our little network here is, is joining force with the Big Heads Podcast Network. They have, oh my gosh, so many different podcasts, all different genres. You can go out there and choose from. That's where you're going to find us. Make sure you check them out at BigHeadsMedia.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams and on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. Find me on Twitter at DC Puck. Find Mike at OneDuke23. Don't forget us on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play. We're everywhere. And for Mike and the entire Rams Talk staff, this is Derek C. Paul saying take it easy. We'll see you midweek. Have a great one. Have a good one. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving.